This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Pep Guardiola wins the Battle of the Masterminds. North London is red. Liverpool are stunned away at the newly promoted Bees. And while we all wait in anticipation for Bruno Fernandes' penalty to return home from orbit, we'll try and make sense of it all on the Gagan Pod. What's happening, football fans? Welcome to the Gagan Pod once again. I've stepped in for the injured David Wiener, pulled a hammy in the warm-up, so I'll do my best to fill those boots. It'll be big shoes to fill for this one, but I'm joined by an all-star cast, Michael Bridges and Mark Schwartzer. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Bridgie, I'll start with you. Good morning to you. And uh, it was a, I hope you've had a bit of sleep to recover from that North London derby. What was your pick of the weekend? Lords, I don't know what you're on about the North London derby. I didn't actually see the game, mate, but the standout <laughs> for me has got to be Brentford getting a three-all draw with Liverpool. I thought they were absolutely magnificent. And yet again, they've shown everybody what they're about in the Premier League this season. So the fairy tale continues for Brentford and their players. It definitely does. Schwartzy's joining us all the way from Spain. Schwartzy, a bit of a Doom and gloom stat here for you. I don't want to start on this type of sour note, but five clubs you played for over in uh, the UK, all of them failed to win this weekend. It was a tough weekend for you, Schwartzy. What was your pick of the bunch? Um, well, where do I start? I'm thinking Leeds losing at home to West Ham, not winning a single game so far in the season. And then I'm going to double whammy, Tottenham. I mean, I know I know, I know. Uh, Bridgie said he didn't watch it. as absolute bollocks because he did. Um, and Spurs, Jesus Christ. Did anyone actually expect any differently? Let's be honest. The only thing I would say is I was surprised at how well Arsenal played in the first 45 minutes. That's it. The rest of it was no surprise. Um, and then they're already talking about Arteta and how wonderful they are. And it's a, you know, this is the beginning of their season. Arsenal, listen, it's one game against a very, very. He poor only asked Spurs you for side. the standout moment. He didn't ask for the analysis of the whole game. So zip it. I didn't watch it. Thanks for the analysis. We can move on now. What about Leeds United, by the way, Bridgie? We're, I'm sure we're going to talk about them as well. But it's just, <laughs> it's been a horrible, horrible weekend. I've got to say, all round. You've given me that stat, by the way, Claude. You, you, you're having a go at me about my clubs, right? Have a go, Bridgie. About, I mean, I know he's got a lot of clubs, right? And I know there's, there's a likelihood that some of these clubs didn't lose, which Newcastle obviously didn't. However, pretty shocking weekend for Bridgie's ex-clubs as well. Yeah. All around the country, by the way, all 14 of them. <laughs> Fortunately enough for you, uh, Sunderland did get a 1-0 win. So that's why I, I took it easy on you there. But uh, I went all the way down to League 2 for your one, Schwartzy, with Bradford. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough results all around for you guys. I want to start with the match which just finished moments ago in the Premier League. It was the last one of the weekend, Crystal Palace at home to Brighton. And we were looking forward to this one because we thought Brighton with a win could remarkably be top of the Premier League. That didn't happen, but they salvaged a draw right at the end. Bridgie, you were filthy with that goal scored in the 95th minute. 
Yeah, you, do you know what it is? I've really felt because Palace had done so well throughout the whole game. You could see Vieira's on the sideline. He actually had a little bit of a handshake with one of his staff. Now, I don't know whether that was to celebrate the, the, the victory that they thought or whether something had gone on behind the scenes. And it was just a moment of madness where from a goal kick where there was a, an infringement inside the penalty area from a corner, um, the goalkeeper, obviously being an endangered species, you're not allowed to touch them, went down and they got the free kick was given. So at that moment, you think the game is over. You know, you've got a time waste a little bit. You can take the sting out of the game. Palace did not try and play out from the back. They went and went long to kill the clock off. And it was it was just a comic of errors. The goal kick didn't have any any kind of feeling on it to the way the players were positioned on the field. And it was one ball over the top. And the first person to react, Palace all switched off. The defence, everybody, even the fans. It was just like shock and awe. And it was Mapai that read the the pass or the through ball, which I felt was just a kind of an interception ball. But I've got to say, what a superb finish. Lobbing mm. the ball over the goalkeeper and celebrating in the best way possible. It was the last touch of the game. And then to see Vieira on the sideline, it was just, yeah, a pot, a pot of celebrating. Vieira going down on his honkers. And this is the cruel world of football. When you defend like that for 94 minutes of a game and you defend so well, and you have that lapse in concentration. It, it, it was strange. It wasn't just one play. It was everybody. Yeah, Schwartzy Brighton, the fairy tale still kind of continues with that point. They're on 13 points, equal with Chelsea, City. They're just one point behind Liverpool. Is it just an early season fairy tale, or could they be up there in the top four come the end of the season? Early season fairy tale, let's be yeah. honest. There's no way in the world they're going to be there come the end of the season. I'm not, I'm not saying they won't be in the top half of the table, because they probably will be. But will they be anywhere near the top four? No. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, it's going to be between probably five or six teams that are going to be contesting for that top those top four positions. I can't think there's going to be any more. Um, obviously, West Ham uh, have shown again how good they've, they're, they've, they continue the form from last season. David Moyes has turned back the clock, to be fair, let's be honest. Um, it's like the Everton 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it is. But with extra quality, I actually even think with West Ham. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think Brighton will be there. Christ, it's not often I agree with you, but yeah, I do. You've thought with that. I like what you've done there. You've taken Moisey back to his his glory days at Everton. You're right. It, it, that's what it's looking like. It is, but it, it, it's got an extra bit to it. I think he's got better quality players. Um, and they're, at the moment, I mean, listen, I mean, I know, I know he did it with Everton. He finished actually in a Champions League position one year as well. So, listen, at the moment, I suppose he hasn't quite accomplished what he did on his heyday at Everton, but he's getting there. And this West Ham side finally living up to, I think, the expectation from a lot of fans moving, you know, moving to the London Stadium, leaving the bowling ground, told that we're going to have a lot of money to spend on bringing players in, quality players, and being able to contest with European positions. Even though I want to be pear-shaped for a couple of seasons, seemingly they're getting it right. Um, and David Moyes, obviously, is a big reason why they're getting it right. So, Claude, you can see how much he wants to, Swartz, he wants to talk about um, Potter and Brighton. He just absolutely yeah. bypassed them and said, let's talk about West Ham. Stuff no, brain. No, you kind of get, you got to get sidetracked, don't you? Listen, no, Brighton have done really, really well, I have to say. I mean, I mean, Graham Potter's done a great job. Um the only the only issue with me, for me for Brighton is that you look at Brighton and you look at their squad and you go okay, Danny Welbeck stays fit, he'll score some goals. More pay will score goals, but will they score enough goals? Have they actually added anyone who's going to score, 
you know, 10, 12, 15 goals this season and be their out-and-out number nine striker and their go-to man. They haven't got that. I just think they'll dry up their goals. I just don't think they're going to be – I mean, they're going to have the injuries. Welbeck money is on that he's going to get injured because that's just unfortunately how he's been throughout his career. Lalana is going to have the same issues, I think. I just can't see them being able to keep the side as it is right now together for the remainder of the season. But defensively, Swartzy, I will give them one thing. I will give them credit. I like the way Potter sets them up. I like them as a defensive unit. And it's probably one of the teams I look at in the Premier League think, I cannot see them getting a spanking this season. I see a lot of teams, and I'm talking, you know, Leeds United um, will get a few spankings because of the way they play. Potter and his style of Brighton, they do not do that. They are very, very structured and organised and they will not go down by many goals. And that, that that's something that's always going to keep you in around the frame and have a, a decent season. Um, but I, I agree, at the other end of the field, they haven't got enough firepower, they haven't got the squad depth to stay where they are at this moment in time. Actually, just on that point, Schwartzy, uh, Danny Welbeck did limp off with an injury in the second half, looked like he was clutching his calf. So he could be out for quite some time. It's a good point. I want to have a quick word on Crystal Palace before we move on to the other games of the weekend. They started the season quite dismal. We thought after their 3-0 loss to Chelsea, they were they looked off the pace. They didn't look like they were ready for this season. But Patrick Vieira has done a pretty good job. They showed that sorry Bridgie against Spurs with that massive 3-0 win recently. And and this morning, they, they were just moments away from another historic win. How, what do you think of their chances this season? Are they a top half team? I, I really fancy them compared to when they were under Hudson last season. I like what Vieira's trying to do at this moment in time. Uh, Edward coming in, the striker, um, he, he played up up top. Um, if you've if you've got a plan B now, I like the way Edward plays. I think he's got a he's got a lot better eye for goal than Benteke. I think his movement is a lot better than Benteke. But if you need to change things up, as we've seen this season as well, when Edward came on for his bloody debut after twenty six seconds to get the goal. I think Benteke is a good plan B, but they've got pace. Zaha, Inayu, and for, for me, Milivojevic is, is back in that defensive midfield, the whole midfield unit. I like what he's all about because the, the boy that they've got, I think he's from Chelsea. Is it Gallagher from Chelsea? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah he, is. Um, he, for me, has been the standout. If you're, if you're looking at a player to get in on loan and, and you want to maximise it, what a player he has been. Um, for them. So I like what they are all about going forward. Defensively, I think they've shown that they are still very, very vulnerable as that last minute if you switch off. But I really fancy that they can have a good season. Can they finish in the top half, Claude, is your question. Um, I don't think they can. I hate to say it. I think there is better teams. I think anything from... I'm going to say they'll just be outside. I'll say 11th or 12th. I'll give them credit. I do like what they're about. I mean, they should finish probably above Tottenham, I have to say. Don't wind me up. Do not start. It's too early. We're not even talking about that yet. Do not start, Swarty. Otherwise, I will unleash. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to unleash here, Bridgie. We're going to start with our first game of the weekend. Christmas came early, 9.30 on Saturday here in the East Coast of Australia. We had two matches to pick from, but the big one was the Champions League final rematch. Chelsea at home to Manchester City. Pep versus Tuchel. We talk time and time again about the fact that Tuchel has beaten him three times since he came over to the English Premier League, but Pep got one up here. Schwartzy, I want to ask you, was this a case of Tuchel getting it wrong or did Pep Guardiola just get it right? Um, did he get it wrong? Um, he was he was livid after the game. He criticised his players. He was extremely frustrated. I think 
I don't think necessarily Tuchel's probably his plan was not to play the way they did, but I think his team fell back into the natural way that they've been playing the last couple of seasons, particularly against Man City. Last season, if you look at the way they played in the Champions League final and also throughout the course of the season in the league against Man City, they tended to drop off a little bit, try and, you know, try and, uh, you know, uh, hold City, trying to make them difficult to break down and then hit them on the counter, which was very effective last season. I thought City, you know, we're always going to have a lot of possession and ultimately if you give them that many chances, they're going to, they're going to get a little bit lucky. And I thought they did get lucky with a goal. It was a bit of, it was a bit of a deflection, um, that was fortunate for them, but Chelsea did play in their in their hands and just weren't ruthless enough. And I can understand why Tuchel got frustrated. So, did Tuchel get it wrong? It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Maybe he did, but I think his players let him down a little bit, and that's why he was also so frustrated and also so outwardly spoken about the performance of the team. No shots on target for Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, when, that's what surprised when, when me. Was as well. the, when was the last time you saw that stat? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I think the fact that he also played Werner up front with with Lukaku um, kind of didn't really work for him. And I, I know Luke, I know uh, Werner made some great runs again, played some decent balls into Lukaku, kind of just didn't quite get on the end of it. Um, they did find the back of the net, but obviously Havertz was offside. Um, so it was fairly uh, obviously uh, cancelled out. But you know what? They were disappointing. And, and I think that's also part of the frustration. I think Tuchel's managed, we said it earlier on, on many shows before, that I think Tuchel's done extremely well at managing the squad. Now, And he's not afraid to actually dig people out, say it how it is. And he said it how it is, and he's frustrated with the way they played. And I get it. I understand it. And I, and I, and I think that's something that still he needs to get out of his team. He needs to get them to be more on the front foot and more have more self-belief and confidence to go and take on and like a man sitting and go, you know what? we are good enough man for man to take you on and actually not just sit back and hope for the odd chance here and there and hit you on the counter. So they did let themselves down a little bit, I thought. So, Claude, you're, you're a Chelsea fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on then. Tell like You've analysed this game. You've looked at this game. You've probably switched off halfway through <laughs> because I, I thought the press from City was absolutely incredible. Um, come on then, give us your thoughts. Yeah, it, it was. You know what's interesting about it? It's amazing how... You know, one tactic works perfectly against one team and doesn't the following week against Spurs. As soon as Chelsea switched to the three midfielders and brought Kante on, I thought they dominated Spurs, right? Sorry to bring that up again, Bridgie, but if you want to play that game, that's what we're going to do here. But I thought here against City, it just didn't work. They couldn't play out. Uh, When I saw the lineup, I thought, okay, Lukaku, Werner, at least they're going to break with pace. They're going to get in behind, but they didn't. And you can sit talking about Chelsea getting it wrong all day, but realistically, I thought Pep got it. Perfectly right. The press, as you said, was magic. And on top of that, Ruben Diaz and Laporte. I mean, Diaz played for me like a PFA player of the year. He was really good. And we had a, we actually had a fan fan roulette is what we call it on on TikTok last night, talking to all Premier League fans as they drop in and out and talk about their Sports, teams. You won't know what TikTok is. <laughs> but, um, now that I'm on board TikTok, I know exactly what you're on about, Claude. Look, look, it's it's a it's it's a great chance for the fans to come in, have their word. You know how fans are, and there are a lot of people asking when John Stones is going to get into this team because it it doesn't look like he can get in ahead of Laporte or Diaz. Are they the starting two for you guys? Oh, without um, a shadow of a doubt for me at this moment in time. Don't get us wrong. Stones is a great player and it's competition for places. But if you were performing like they did in this match, yeah, why change a winning formula? I've got to, I've got to say, I do believe that when I, when I was watching the game and yes, City got the press fantastic. They got it so spot on. But there's moments, I'm part of the strikers' union. Swartz is the goalkeeper's union. Huh. 
I was disgusted at the hold-up play from Lukaku and Werner because when you're defence and you're midfielder needing a bit of a break and you're needing somebody to hold that ball up, now whether that's running in behind or just getting a hold of it, now this is Lukaku's game. He's a man-mountain. I felt that his, his touch was off and you can put that down to a few things. Was it his off day or was it the pressure from the two defenders that every time he was looking to take a touch, they were just giving him a shove somewhere or trying to get an extra extra thing. And so I don't think Chelsea got a breather. That press just came back and again and again. And I put it down to they didn't have that target man that they have got that should have done a job for them. And there was a, there was a lot of pressure kept coming back on, um, on Chelsea. And I think that would have really frustrated um, the manager Tuchel when he, when he looks back at that. Uh, listen, I think I think that is very difficult. I think it's right what Bridge is saying. You know, you need your strikers or your striker, your main man, to hold the ball up every now and then and give you a breather. However, he is coming up against you know Laporte and Diaz, who obviously on their day are world class. I mean, Diaz showed last season how good a player he was. Laporte didn't play as many games because Stones were so good. But we see with Pep time and time again, it doesn't matter how well you've played the last season. I mean, I know Stones was injured early on in the season, so he's just come back. Look at Sterling. Look at Mares. I mean, De Bruyne up until the weekend, or, or you know, recently he found himself on the bench quite frequently. He's not afraid to to take players out, you know, and he will mix it up. So will Stones get a, a, another run in the team? He will get a run. When will that be? That's a big question. If Laporte and Diaz keep playing so well, I can see them. I can see them keeping their position for some time unless they get injured. Um, but Stones coming in and playing the odd game here and there and doing well doesn't necessarily mean you'll change things up because, you know, Pep doesn't really care. You've seen it time and time again. I mean, Sterling looks a shadow of himself. Grealish looks – we haven't talked about Grealish. I thought Grealish was absolutely outstanding. Um, he looks brilliant. And he's just added something different to, to City. Unpredictability. And you can see players just drop off from him. Any time he gets near that box – it's like they're afraid to get anywhere near him because they just know that he's so good on the ball and he's so difficult to win the ball off him. And well, if you get it slightly wrong, you're in trouble. When you're the most fouled player in Premier League history, <clears throat> and he's only half the age of some of them, you realise that you either can't touch him because he's very, very clever. He shifts the ball so well. I used to have this argument with Rich Bayless saying, he, he can't stand him because we watch a game where Villa played Leeds and Grealish was diving and going down all the time. I said, he's not diving. I said, that he's actually, he, he shifts the ball that late and that quick that when the players are committed, they actually catch him. All right, he might elaborate a little bit, but I, I find like that's what he, that's why defenders are so scared of him because they do not, they know that if you dangle a leg in and you dangle it in the wrong time um, and you've got to be spot on, he's, he's a genius at doing that. He definitely is. Um, both those teams have huge games coming up this week in the Champions League as well. City take on Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea take on Juventus before they return to the league and City play Liverpool. So it's a huge week for them. It'd be a massive statement if they come out of this with four or six points. Guys, I'm going to move on to the other game that was also on at 9.30 Saturday night. We were treated on Optus and this one was Manchester United at home to Aston Villa. As we know, Villa ran out 1-0 winners in the end. I think deserved winners, although Man United dominated most of the possession. Most of the better chances of the game did fall to Villa. But there was a huge moment. That goal, Courtney House, headers it at the near post. And I want to ask your opinion of this one, Schwartzy, because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was fuming after the game, saying that the goal was offside for obstruction on the goalkeeper. As a keeper, what are your thoughts? I I saw a report um, here over in, in the UK. Well, in the UK, um, I think it was Dermot Gallagher was was talking on on Sky News actually, and he was talking about 
the the moment when the header actually took place, the hair actually moved. Um, was it Ollie Watkins out of way out of the way? And he found himself in a position where he had free access to the ball and free sight to the ball. So therefore, Ollie Watkins wouldn't have been deemed to have been interfering when the referee then had his vision. So it, it's a really tight call. Um, Correct decision. Yeah. I mean, listen, the argument is from a goal. You can't touch them. You can't stand in front of them. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's about what happens just leading up to it. Even though at the time of impact, the damage is already done. You know, the damage can already be done. So I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence on this one because I know what it's like when you're in that position and someone is actually impeding you because he was actually impeding him to begin with. So the argument there is, is it a foul before even the ball's taken? Or, okay, the ball's not in play, so it's not technically a foul. But then if you were to punch someone or roll by someone and the ball hasn't been played, and you'd be sent off, wouldn't you? And you'd probably have a free kick against you. So why wouldn't that be given as well? So I don't know. I mean, I, I listen, end of the day, United, you know, didn't take their chances and Villa did. They got the rub of the green and and obviously the penalty miss made all the difference as well. But I, I'm a little bit on the fence on this one. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent convinced it should have been given, but then I can see why it has been. I think you're right with the movement. I think after I've seen the replay and I've seen the movement from De Gea, how he actually does move out the sight of the the defender. I think if if sorry if Watkins is still blindsighting him, it's got to be given. We've I think we saw a few the week before with Leicester. We did, where, yeah, we did. Yeah, when, with when Harvey Barnes, happened. both of them actually yeah. against Harvey Barnes as well. Yeah, yeah. and that, I think that was more. You could see that's more clear cut. I will defend the goalkeepers up, but in this instance, as he's moved, he's moved because he's actually judged the flight of that header and thought I've got to get back across my near post. Got him out of the way, and then I, I mean, I asked, could he could he have done anything, Swartzy? Here's one for you. Could he have if Watkins is not there, and that header, that glancing header with the pace that the ball was coming in, could De Gea from his positioning have saved that anyway? Likely is no, and De Gea wouldn't have come out for it because that's not part of his no, game. So game. He wouldn't have it? come out. He wouldn't have come out and done and taken the cross or or challenged the cross. Listen, what do you say? I mean, we'll never know, obviously. And as a goalkeeper, you'll always say, listen, I wasn't even given a chance to, you know. So, so, I mean, in theory, when you look at it, you probably would say no. He probably wouldn't have saved it. But then you look at a lot of saves that keepers have made throughout the course of history and you think, had they have not moved and made that save, you would have said probably they never would have saved it, but there was a miraculous save carried out. You know what I mean? So, Well, I'll tell you what, I've got to, got to admire that because my question to both of you is, I'm going to throw this one in, the antics of the other goalkeeper at the other end of the field because on the Gagan pod last, I think it was last week or the week before, the, the moment I was looking for for Manchester United was them getting a penalty. When you've got the superstar in Ronaldo who wants to score as many goals as he can, but you've got Fernandez who's never missed a penalty for United, I was uh, so intrigued. Is that, oh, right? is that true? I think it's his second one now. He's second one, is I think he, has he, he won't one, be yeah. on them anymore, but I was intrigued to see who was going to take it. And I just loved the gamesmanship from the goalkeeper Martinez in this, this instance. So what was your take on that, boys? I didn't, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. Did you, did you, you obviously didn't think anything was wrong with it, right? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, He's, so, he's actually calling out Ronaldo to come and take it. Come on, have, have, the, have the kahunas to come and take me on. You, well, just, I, just to put the doubt I, in both players' minds, I thought it was fantastic. Am I correct in saying that Ronaldo had a bit of a bit of a smirk on his face as well? I mean, yeah. uh, for me, it looked like he had a bit of a smirk yeah. on his face, yeah. thinking, "Yeah, I know, I've told them I should be taking it, and and they're not giving me the gig." So Was he will not he get smirking, the... knowing that Martinez got the got the wool over them? Well, that could have been the case as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Ronaldo would have lapped that up. He would have absolutely loved it. Um, Bruno Fernandes, listen, hindsight looks a wonderful thing. When you look over it again, he looks like a rabbit in headlights. Um, but you know what? And I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. You know, uh, Bruno Fernandes is still one of the best penalty takers around. So it was, it was, it was, it was a bad miss, right? And that can happen. Um, but let's be honest, right? Let's get on to another thing. Him releasing a, a, an official statement to apologize. And it was like a letter. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Honestly, <laughs> what, what is does the world pathetic. come to? It is what pathetic. is the world coming to? So what if I had to write a letter every time I made a, a mistake in the field, mate, I'd have an autobiography 10 times. You wouldn't have been able to play anymore. You'd be too well, busy exactly. writing letters. I'd just be very writing letters. <laughs> it was, it's a shambles. That was that was embarrassing. I've got to say that was. If you, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not. I've got nothing. Not, I'm. I'm lost for words. There you go. Not I, like I, I. I don't think it's even worth giving any more airtime because I just think it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous that guys are so concerned about what people are writing about them on social media. And and let's be honest. Every time something goes wrong, you're going to be abused, and that that's that's the downside of social media. But and and that's where you know that's another discussion altogether. But players, unfortunately, um, society not even just players, people in general are so hung up on social media, they live their lives by it, and it affects them so greatly that they feel the need to come out and release an official statement and apologize, which is just ridiculous. It is the negative aspect of the game at the moment. But watching that penalty back, I think when you look at Bruno Fernandes, you can't help but think it wasn't just another penalty. It was the last minute of the game at Old Trafford. It was an important point. He's got his idol, probably Ronaldo, standing right behind him. And he didn't strike it like a normal Fernandez penalty. There was no hop, skip, jump, send the keeper the wrong way. It just looked like he was really in his own head. Emi Martinez, we've seen him do that in the Copa America before, really get into Yeri Mina's head in the shootout. He's done that a few times. Schwartzy, I don't want to talk too much about penalties because we got a masterclass last week for about 15, 20 minutes. But just quickly, have you ever engaged in any of that when you were on the park? Um, have I ever Have I ever given anyone any grief like that? No, I haven't actually. Um more time than not, because I was more concerned about being 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 shown up myself, going, oh, what an idiot I would have looked like had he just gone and scored. And Martinez would have been a little bit as well. But um, listen, fair dues to him, you know, and I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think he took it too far. Um, and in the end, it worked a treat. Um, and I thought it was great viewing as well. And, and Martinez, you know, got the desired result. And for Villa, that's a huge, huge win. Am I, am I correct in thinking he did something very similar to this in the Copa America? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's what Claude was just saying there. Yuri Mina was giving him stick. Uh, Sorry, because, there you go. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah because Yuri Mina did it in the round before, didn't he? he, he I think he he took the Mickey out of the, the other team goalkeeper when he scored, and even Messi apparently jumped on board and and gave Yuri Mina a lot of abuse when uh, when Martinez made the save as well. Yeah, that's right. It was dancing in the shootout and he copped it for it in the end. Um, we'll move that's on to right. the next game in a second, but I just wanted to, one more word on United. They've got a busy week coming up as well. Europa League final rematch against Villarreal. Then they play Everton in the league. Shaw and Maguire both limped off injured. And there are a lot of question marks raised at the moment on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So just a quick one. Is he the man to bring silverware to Old Trafford? Oh, Oh man, the the million dollar question, isn't it? It's I, I, I'll, I'll give you an answer straight away. No, no, he's not. Um, and he, and he and he's proven it already. And I think, I think he's kind of hand tied a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I've said it lots of times before. So people will say I just don't like him, and I'm I'm just not a fan. I am not a fan, but I'm but basing on on performances. Pogba, I don't get why they're trying to find a position for him. He's out of contract, so it's a case of keeping him happy, trying to give him a new contract, which is just ridiculous in my opinion. Um, 
out of position. I just, I think got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Jaden Sanchez on the bench. I mean, they played him one ninety minutes and then left him out. I mean, what are they expecting from the guy? Give the guy the, that guy's the future and he's, he's the real deal. So you've got to give him the opportunity, give him the platform to go out there perform. I don't think I don't think Solskjaer's got the balance right. I think he's picked wrong players time and time again. I think he's more concerned about personalities and maybe it's dictated from above. I don't, I don't know. And I don't think he has it or has what it takes to win major silverware and make United great again. Well said. And the only thing I'm going to finish off with, if Man United can learn anything, you've just got to take a look at Chelsea under Lampard and see what happened when you got somebody in who was a knows how to deal with all these egos and he's got a tactical genius behind him and he's won a few things and that was Tuchel. So, um, yeah, I'll go with Swartzy. No, he can't. Yeah, the thing is about Tuchel, right? If you, if you compare the two, right? So, so under Lampard, we know that the change room is divided at Chelsea, right? So, and, and the, I don't think that's necessarily the case at United, that there's a divided change room. I think everyone's kind of content with the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer treats them all. I don't think there, there's an issue with that. I think there's certainly players who won't be happy and believe that maybe he's not got what it takes to win and really win something. But what Tuchel did incredibly well was just unite the whole change room and get everyone on board and believing in his philosophy. I just don't think United believe. I don't think the players believe I'll, that I'll they can you, go on and win things. I'll give you a, a very similar example when we were at Leeds United. We had an unbelievable team. We had a manager in O'Leary that spent a hell of a lot of money getting some of the best young talent in the country and from around the world. And every time we came up against an Arsene Wenger or a Sir Alex Ferguson, who had won things in the past, we did not have that extra little something that was able to get us over the line, whether it was winning the Premier League, top of Christmas, finishing third, 26 points, I think, or 20, it was so many points, 20 plus behind Manchester United at the end of the season. Champions League semi-finals, missing out in Europe, a semi-final. There was just something that we did not have. And I feel that there's, until the, like O'Leary had actually won something or had more of a tactical nous about that to help us get over our, our youthful mentality, we got into that mentality that we can't win anything, if that makes sense. And I think that was similar to what Swartz is saying there. Not that there's no discontent. We had an unbelievable dressing room, probably the best dressing room I've ever been in with that bunch of players and staff. But when the crunch came, the crunch, and you had to win things, and we did not have that extra little something, whether it was from the manager, whether it was from the coaching staff, whether it was just in built in us as a team and as players, I couldn't get over the line. I, I, I don't see that in the players at Man United because they have won things. So I'm going to go along and say that it, it's always missing something, definitely, to win major tournament, uh, major you events. You look at it now, ex-players after ex-player are coming out and saying, this is the season, he doesn't win something, he's gone. Um, Rio Ferdinand has already had uh, a couple of spats with, with Solskjaer. You look at Teddy Sheringham as the latest player to come out and say, ex-player from United, saying that if they don't win silverware, he's gone. That's where they are right now. And I, and I just think, listen, there's no way in a million years that uh, Solskjaer can ever turn around if he were to lose his job coming into the season or even before that without winning any silverware that he wasn't given enough time because actually he's been given more time than than many others before him. Um, he's been given everything almost. And, I, and, I, and I, I just think at times he's not managed it as well as he as he probably could have. You know, it's easy from from afar. Yeah. In that hot seat, it's, it's so different. And, and that's the difference between... The top top managers and and you know I'm not saying that Solskjaer won't go on to be a top manager one day maybe he will um, but at the moment he's not he's not there. What he has done think, 
he's brought stability and credibility back to Manchester United. I'll, I'll give yeah. him that because they were they were in an absolute world of pain on and off the field. I thought there was no, I thought the love loss was between the fans was gone, the Glaziers. I, I, it's still not patched up, but even the football had gone. And I, th- I think what, it, to be fair to him, he's brought some form of excitement back with the players. But again, sports, like you said, he's been allowed to do that. Um, and I, I just think... I, I, the, think the, yeah, I, thought he's, I think he's also brought nostalgia back. So I think he's been given extra time by the fans because of who he is, because of what he's been involved with at the club previously. Um, the narrative from everyone at the club, the media turned when got, uh, Solskjaer took over. Obviously, when he first took over, he went on an incredible run all of these ex-players, the pundits all got on board and said, he's got to get a deal. He's got to be full-time. That He was given time. He was given that, that you know, he played on that narrative. He's going to go back old school. He's going to bring in that Alex or Alex Ferguson era again, the mentality, the club, the ethos, the, the instill that kind of belief and that type of uh, personality within the club. So now it's, now it's a, uh, payout time. Now it's deliver time. If you don't deliver now, he's been given everything. He's been given opportunities. And I just think in those big games and, and all the real big games, he's going to struggle. He hasn't quite got what he needs. Look at the, look at the Europa League final last season, using the excuse that we're not going to judge the team based on trophies. Listen, everyone gets based on trophies in the end. Those big clubs, absolutely. The lesser clubs, no. But the bigger clubs, 100%. You're not going to get judged on. The success at United has been year after year after year based on delivering silverware. And all of a sudden, on the, on the, on the Ollie, it's not about winning silverware. It's just about progression. Uh, I think that time is over with now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Definitely, Schwartz. You mentioned uh, Jaden Sancho as well. The president of Dortmund came out over the weekend, said it hurts his soul to see the way Sancho is being treated over at Man United. But they, they are one point off top spot Liverpool at the moment. So it's not time to panic. No, no absolutely not. No, you're right. But, but I, I just don't think they've got what it takes to win. We're talking about really, really fine details here. And, and you look at you look at Man City, you look at Chelsea, you look at Liverpool, United, in my opinion, that little step down again. Okay. And and what and it's not necessarily personnel. I think it's management. I, I actually think that's going to be the difference between whether United win anything this season as opposed to the other lot. Because the other ones will win. They'll win whether 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 all three of them will win something this season, but they're the three that are going to win, if anyone's going to win. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, let's let's talk about one of those three top spot at the moment, Liverpool. They're not three points clear as they probably would have liked to be seeing the early results on Saturday. They are one point clear after a draw 3-3 away at Brentford. The Bees were very impressive. Bridgie, that was your pick of the bunch this weekend. Yeah, and just just the way that they didn't, they never they never said die. They're playing Liverpool and for me this season, and I think Swartz said it, it was against Legion United, that was the best he'd seen Liverpool. I love what they're about Van Dijk's given that stability again. Um, and I think Jota, 
Um, I've really, I've really enjoyed seeing him up there in place of Firmino. Marnie and Salah, just two players that you absolutely love. So for me, for Brentford to go toe for toe with these and have that never say die attitude, the subs came came on as well to to get that for for Frank. So he he you know he made he made the decision. He didn't say you know we're going to sit back and let's just try and protect this. He thought we've got to get back in this. Um, and he did. He threw caution to the wind, and I respect him massively for that. But I've got, I've got to say, there was a there was a moment in the game. I I, I just love Salah, and for for everything that he has done for Liverpool and for the Premier League, I really I, I still don't think he he's talked about in in the way that he should be. I mean, the the, the records are just flying off the charts, man, with this guy. Well, just on that, Bridgie, I'm glad you brought that up. Mo Salah becomes the fastest Liverpool player to score 100 Premier League goals. He's just three goals off Didier Drogba, and then he will become the highest scoring African in Premier League history. So I wanted to I wanted to throw one to you guys. And this is Salah. This came up yesterday, actually, in the fan chat. Salah, Hazard, Bale, as wingers in the Premier League in the last 10 to 12 years. Rank them, please. Wow. <sighs> I, I think it's so difficult to because Salah's a kind of a he's a winger striker. He's not really an out and out winger, is he? I mean, mm. but that's a, the that's the tactics from Klopp. He allows him to come and drift inside. Bill was more yeah. the left left player, left and wide yeah. and high. So did Hazard. Hazard, Hazard was could drift a link in a bit up. more. Yeah, link up creator and then scorer of some good goals. You know, so yeah, it's it's a really have, difficult one. Claude, have we got I mean, the stats on the goals and the assists from all of them, or not? You put me on the spot here. No, I know, I know Salah. I know Salah dwarfs it for goals yeah. uh, in 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 yeah, a short does. time. Um, but the yeah. big point there is just I think sometimes statistically, this is what was being brought up with all the Liverpool fans yesterday. Statistically, you can't really argue with Salah at the moment. But is there an element when you watch football that it's not all about stats, right? That a player like Hazard and what he does on the ball, Schwartz, you've played with both of these players. Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. And there's there's an element that it doesn't just go down to stats, right? It's it's what Hazard could do on the ball. It's an entertainment factor as well. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, I mean, you, you talk about entertainment factor. I mean, en- entertainment factor is also based on delivering. So Salah's delivering goals, which then in turn delivers silverware, Champions League, um, Premier League title, first one in 30 years, first ever Premier League trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, what Salah's done at Liverpool in a short period of time, certainly I, I think – outshines what Hazard and and Bale have done at either the respect. I mean, Bale, listen, but for, for as a remarkable player as Bale has been and, and what he was certainly in his latter stages at, at Spurs, I mean, I mean, I don't even think you can talk in the same breath, Bale and, and Salah, in terms of what... No, but in terms of the impact that Salah has had at Liverpool versus the impact Bale had at Spurs. And the cons- consistency of Salah's performances. Yes, yeah. Yeah, goal return, the impact, what his goal return has led to, what what Liverpool has delivered in the, in the time that Salah's been at the club. I, I don't think either of them can compare. I don't think actually Hazard. Hazard is the closest one, mm-hmm. but I still think Salah pips it. I think Salah dwarfs them. I've got to be honest. I, I, when you just mentioned that stat there with Drogba, what, three behind these African Premier League records, that, like, I, I've got Drogba on this pedestal he for me when I witnessed him 
destroy Jonathan Woodgate for Marseille against Newcastle United in the um, when we were in the I think it was Europa League or at the time or the Champions League one of the, one of the two in the semi final. I, I have never seen a player dominate Woodgate as much as he did. Uh, and we were like, wow, this guy... It certainly in, wouldn't have been Champions League with Newcastle. It would have been Euro, uh, UEFA it, Cup. It would have been, sorry. yeah, well done you, well done. That was, that <laughs> was saying, really, really, saying. really, really harsh but true. Uh, and just to see what he did, we were, you know, we, we were blown away, the players and even Woody was like, what the hell have I just come up against there? To see him then go to Chelsea and do what he done and win the amount of trophies that he did there, just think that Salah is three behind him. I, I just... Yeah. He, Salah for me has been unbelievable. Yeah. Talk about the impact, right? So you talk about impact of players and, and, and what they deliver. I mean, that's the comparison. So Salah and Drogba are certainly right up there. I mean, obviously the stats all tell you that, but also the impacts. Yeah, talking about Didier Drogba, if you want to com- make a comparison, um, you know, you talk about you know African players, most goals scored in the Premier League. You know, if if obviously once Salah goes and surpasses that, it's an incredible stat, right? So th- there's no, no denying that at all. But if you talk about impact, I mean, you mentioned earlier on about Hazard, Bale comparison, and we and I mentioned saying about impact and what players have been able to do and accomplish with their respective sides and how much of an impact they've had. Salah for me definitely ends up on top out of those those group of players. But if you talk about Didier Drogba and what he accomplished at Chelsea, what he did, how he helped change that team, that club, winning two Premier League titles plus winning the Champions League, for me that still surpasses what. Salah has done so far at Liverpool and and only just because he's won two Premier League titles plus winning the Champions League. I mean, Salah's yeah. not far. Listen, he got to two Champions League finals, won one mm-hmm. and also won the Premier League title. So, you know, it, it's very, I, very, very tight. And getting sidetracked, I love Didier Drogba and I also hate Didier Drogba. The reason I love Didier Drogba for what he achieved and what he did, the reason I hate him is because in England, there was always two strikers. We played with a number nine and number 10, but we played as a 4-4-2. So there's always two opportunities to play as a striker. When Didier Drogba came along and teams realised that if you've got a big man that can play up front by himself, we only need one striker. So my job was cut in half, basically, and I had to fight for my place more. And I couldn't get a game over Mark Raduga. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. No, well, understandably as well. <laughs> Another big man that could hold the ball up and was frightened. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it's it's all about stylistic, really, because that's the other difference between, we mentioned Hazard was the original one that we're comparing with Salah and the fact that even in Hazard's PFA Player of the Year season, he had so many assists, but it was Diego Costa who was the one scoring all the goals. But Liverpool's false nine system allows Salah to get in behind, have more chances at goal, and that is also uh, a contributor to those statistics. But but I also think it, it, it's open to an opinion, right? So so what 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 actually floats your boat more. So, you know, you look at Hazard, you watch him play and you go, incredible. Every time he touches a ball, something dramatic is going to happen. Something's going to be created and there's going to be an end product. Seller's no different. However, generally the end product is from him. Yep. So, and he's probably a little bit more direct. He's got pace, he's got energy, he's got power. Whereas Hazard probably was more, obviously that more of a, more finesse more more cultured in the way he played. I suppose that's probably the, the way I best explain it. Um, but it's open to interpretation. Whatever flows your boat more than one or, one or the other. Let's just, just say and enjoy Liverpool fans. Sorry, Claude. <laughs> Liverpool fans, you've got an unbelievable player. I respect him. This season's going to break Drogba's record. But over Christmas, he goes to the African Nations Cup 
how are you going to replace him and Marnie? Let's move on and leave the Liverpool fans with that one. <laughs> Let's leave him with that one. Matip came out during the week saying he's going to stay in England. He's not going to go to the African Cup of Nations, so that helps. But yeah, Mane, Salah and Naby Keita will all be leaving for a month. That's got to hurt. Guys, I want to move on to the North London derby. Sorry, Bridgie, if the internet cuts out now, it would be understandable. Arsenal beating Spurs 3-1. And you talk about players playing in different systems. I think we, we have to talk about Harry Kane. Well, firstly, Nuno Espirito Santo, after the game, he came out, he was quite scathing in his in his opinion of the match he took full responsibility but he said some players that i've selected did not suit the game plan the game plan was fine the players were incorrect is he talking about kane is he talking about Deli ali schwartzy you've got an opinion on this one well no you know the interesting thing is right so i want to know from bridgie right so when nuno was appointed bridgie was loving it you know loving with nuno right First three games of the season, listen, they won their first three games, but they won them 1-0 and they won on the counter and everything else, right? Since then, it's been a disaster for him. And now he's like third favourite to be sacked already. And, and I said it right from the beginning, I don't think Nuno was the right man. I don't think he was the right fit for Spurs. Bridgie, last week you said, I don't think he's the right man either. Will you ever make your mind up and will you ever stick to an opinion about someone? I said he's the right man for the job. I will stick by my opinion. Last I week do- you didn't. I was having a few questions, a few doubts. You know what? I, you know what I respect about the interview is the he's actually come out and said it in a way, and had a go at the players, uh, and he hasn't sugarcoated it and he hasn't hid behind it. I think there's a lot of players that have had previous managers that haven't been able to sort this crap out that's gone on there, and I think they've had an easy ride. And I, I respect what he's done, and he's not scared to make changes. Um, I still think, and I like what he is about if we've got the right players playing. The the thing that has happened, and I never thought I'd say this, Swartzy, since Harry Kane has come back into the fold and he's had to put him in and he's had to start him, Tottenham have not had the same dynamics under the style of play that Nuno started with at the start of the year without Harry Kane when it was all quick counter-attack with three fast players up top. We have looked stagnant and obviously the game plan that we don't know about, we are not entitled to that dressing room, he has come up with a game plan, him and his staff. They've worked on it in the training during the week, as we know what happens. And he was furious because the players didn't have a, have a crack and they didn't follow out the direction or they didn't understand. However, I will say, and I hate to say this because it's given me bloody horrible taste in my mouth, Arsenal came out there and they looked like they were motivated for a North London derby. Spurs came out with an air of arrogance about them and think that it was going to be easy. Well, no, Arsenal won a winning streak. We weren't. And I think Nuno was right to come out and have a go because having Harry Kane as a captain of a football club, I still I love what Roy Keane has said over the media. He is Harry does not go and annihilate players. It's, there's a few players in that dressing room that need a kick up the arse, um, and they need somebody that's going to be a leader in that dressing room. There you go. The thing is, right, what you're saying there, I, I get what you're saying, right? And and Harry Kane has been incredibly off the pace, right? And um, and you can pick a number of reasons He looks heavy, Swartz. He looks heavy. There's a lot of things. You know, it's like, Bridgie, when, when, you, when your heart is not there anymore, when you your head's been turned and you don't want to be there, everything is a chore. Everything so don't becomes play him. heavy. Don't play So him. then I, I, I agree with what you're saying. However, he's not the only reason. No, not so at all. Spurs didn't – Spurs weren't, weren't all over the pitch good – and Harry Kane was the worst player on the pitch. Mm-hmm. There were there were there were ten other players that were bang average, and they've been bang average for the last couple of weeks. And they all look like they're either not up to speed with the game plan, don't haven't bought into it, 
or or, or don't believe in it. So Dombele, Indobele, uh, and Deli Ali for me, along with um, Sanchez, looked in disarray. Absolute so, disarray. Yeah, but so 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 how how come is are so many players in that position? Generally, that comes down to because there is there is unrest within the group. There is there's an issue with the players and 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 the management. There's there's not a belief in it. That you know what it's like in a change. I've got to I've got to stick with them, Swarcy. I've got to because I don't want to go through the manager roundabout no, again. No, no, I forget think that. It needs time. You forget that. Forget that. You're not you're not Daniel Levy. You have to make a decision based on I've made a choice and I have to stick with him because I've st- I've I've made that but choice. You saw you the dynamics for the first few games. Yeah, but you're not going to have a not game plan change. against Manchester City. He's done it at Wolves. The game plan worked. He did it at Wolves at work with a counter attack. He's done it this season. He's proven that he's got the tactical nous. Yeah, but that's not Spurs. You don't go to Spurs and play counter football. Spurs want entertainment. You, you know, Daniel Levy, the way that Spurs, this team has been built, is playing football, going at teams. They don't just sit back and try and hit teams in the counter. I mean, I can't even believe you're saying that as a Spurs fan. I mean, that, that just goes, that's counterproductive. That goes against everything that Spurs fans want to see from a Spurs side. I don't think and- we have the midfield to play a creative style of football. I see Heuberger, who I like as a player to break the play up. Deli Ali, not the same player. No way. He's been off the boil for two, two years. And Dombele hasn't really hit the ground running. So that midfield, you take out of that. And what we got behind that, we've got Winks, Lacelso, the skip. Then then for me, they are not the players that are going to get you and get you a creative midfield. There isn't there's no creativity in there. Just on Schwartz's point, after three games, Spurs were top of the league. But remarkably, I, I, I do agree with that. I mean, when you look at the fact that Jose Mourinho has been sacked and a lot of people question his style of football, and now you bring in a manager which is playing a defensive counter-attack style of football, Tottenham are actually 20th in the league for chances created and shots on target. That can't be good enough for a club like that. I think okay. they're 19th and 20th for a lot more as well. I, I saw stats yes. yesterday. I think there was about seven to eight stats where Tottenham were in that category. Now that hurts. And yeah, and, and, and that's not just the players. That, that, that's a combination, right? So, you yeah. you know, I, I know the players have to go out there and, and, and carry out the instructions, but, I mean, you, you, you look at Wolves, and, and, and this was also brought up this week in the media about, you know, Nuno was let go at, at Wolves because they got to a point where the style of football wasn't what they were looking for. They weren't able to go to a different level. The players were were stale under him. They struggled. He, he he lost to a large degree. I think he lost the change room. He's gone to Spurs and not much else has changed. Yes, he won the first three games of the season, but it wasn't pretty at times. And yes, the performance against City was a great performance. Let's be honest. I'm not going to deny that. Um, and against a City side that is a, that is a top, top class City side. But Spurs can't play the whole season like that. And they're not going to play the whole season like that. And And... There is something fundamentally wrong at the club. And it, it does start from the top. And there are decisions that were made throughout the summer with Harry Kane being the number one decision, which was a bad one. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but even at the time I said it, that he should have been sold. That sort of money you have to get, you have to let him go because the guy didn't come to training. His head was turned. He was desperate to leave the club. And if you don't get rid of him, you have to have the right manager in charge to make sure he's getting back on board I would again. Rather and see I don't Daniel, think you have that. I'd rather see Daniel Levy go than anybody else at that football That's club. Never that's never going to happen. I know. That's and never going to happen. I know. And I think a lot of the players would be delighted with that and you'd see but a that, fresh that's, face. But that's not going to change anything. That, that's not going to change the side and the management as it is. 
And obviously what's going to have, ultimately what's going to happen is the manager is going to lose his job if results don't change because he's the easiest one to change. Obviously outside a transfer window, you can't change a whole team in one transfer window. They're going to move the manager on beforehand. The question is who wants the Spurs job? Mm. Well, a quick note on Arsenal. I think they deserve some love as well. Great win, great first half performance and we spoke about Arteta. He was probably the most under fire manager after three games. Now he's put three back-to-back wins together. Hmm. How long has he bought himself now? He's oh, he's bought himself ample time. I, I say the last two, I've got to say the three players that have stood out for me um, before this Ramsdale, the goalkeepers come in, giving them a whole new lease life. There you go. The goalkeepers union. Um, <laughs> White and Gabriel playing two centre-halves with Ramsdale behind them. They look so comfortable together. I think that's the best partnership. It's been three games now that they have been together and they've had three wins. The, the camaraderie there and the, the, the one that I've absolutely loved, Smith Rowe coming back. Uh, man, he looked like a man possessed. And when you've got players that understand what it's like to wear the, the, the badge of that football club when you've gone through and you, you, you know what it's about, that for me, he came out with B in his bonnet and he spread his enthusiasm and willingness to run, spread throughout the whole team. And it was probably the best performance from a North London derby I've seen from Arsenal in a long, long time. I, I thought they were absolutely magnificent from start to finish and embarrassed Tottenham. Right, let's not get too carried away, all right? First 45 minutes, Arsenal were great, but Spurs were woeful, right? But they were woeful partly because of Arsenal being so good and started the game so well. So you've got to give them credit for that. North London derby, forget about, forget about form, everything else. Yeah, I know, I get that, right? And, but let's be honest, after being hammered by Man City, 5-0, they've played Norwich at home, which they kind of scraped in a win in the end, right? Yep. yep. Then they beat Burnley away, which was a very scrappy affair again. It's a tough place to go. But are we saying Arsenal did really well to get a win at Burnley? Is that where we are with Arsenal? Where the pressure, when you are under that kind of pressure and you haven't won and you're playing lesser teams like that, that you know that your your manager's job is on the line. You know, as players, the fans are going to berate you. They're, they're not easy games, man. This is the Premier League no, you're talking about. They no, got through them you. games and they played You, you two don't even teams. know what Burnley's like, mate. You've never been they there. Played How two would you teams, even know? You didn't right? watch them play. You don't even know what they're like to play. They played two teams with two different, right, two different tactics. Pookie and Norwich, it was all about, can they contain that man? The two centre-halves did. They did it fantastically. Then the week after against Burnley, it was complete aerial bombardment. And they handled that. And then they've come up against a team in Spurs and they've handled that. I, I, I never thought I'd be saying this. Why am I talking Arsenal up? Arsenal up? I, th- I thought they've been brilliant in the last three matches that they have shown that they can. And now, when you think the start of the season, Arteta didn't have um, Aubameyang. He didn't have Thomas Party. He had to handle Jack. I know he was back in. Smith, uh, Smith Rowe wasn't available. Ben White and his back four were in disarray. There was a lot of sickness and injuries. Arteta has got a full squad to pick from now, and you're seeing the dynamics work. Yeah, whether it I'm is not getting carried away. I'm <laughs> not getting carried away yet. I, I listen. I think Arsenal. I'll give them the juice. It was a really good 45 minutes against Spurs, but a bad Spurs side. Second half, often when you're winning three 0 at time in a big game like that, you know you you do drop off a little bit, and the other team will come back into it, right? But they got Brighton next away, which. I can see I can see Arsenal dropping points if not losing that game because that's just what Arsenal do these days, and I don't I I think there's still a million miles off it. 
Mm. Well, I mean, some credit has to be given as well to the acquisitions, whether that is Arteta or whoever's in charge of the transfers there at Arsenal, because Thomas Partey, I thought, was brilliant. Again, in midfield, he brings so much. The centre-back partnership, Ramsdale, I think eyebrows were raised when they went and signed a goalkeeper out of everyone, but he was phenomenal again on the weekend. Mm. And a big thing for Arsenal is that they have no European football as well. As we know, when clubs <coughs> focus on playing one match a week, it uh, over the long haul of the season, when these teams are coming back from trips around Europe, it can really come to help them, guys. What else caught your eye this weekend? Just quickly before we move forward to what's coming up in the Prem, it's another big week coming up before our international break. What else caught our eye? Anything we want to talk about? Leeds United, problems for Bielsa? I thought you'd never mention it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, it's scary you think about it, right? I mean, we've, we've said it about many, many times before. Harry Kiel said it as well. You know, Bielsa hasn't got a plan B and he just sticks with the plan that he's got and if it's not working, they still persist. Um, and and listen, I, I I think they were lucky leads to only lose two one. I thought Melier was brilliant. I thought he made some absolutely outstanding saves. They could have lost the game by by far more. Um, West Ham, listen, never say die. I mean, we mentioned it earlier on the podcast. You know, David Moyes is is wound back the clock and is getting there to doing what with us West Ham what so many managers never been able to get anywhere near to doing as well as what he did with Everton back, back in the day, really impressive. Um, and some top quality players, but Leeds United are a real concern. I mean, Bridgie, you, you've got to be, I don't know. I know you've got to be careful on what you say, but you must be, you must be worried. Of course I'm worried. Of course I am. And I think I've said that before, the fans didn't want them getting carried away saying we're going to be European football this season. You know, we're going to be contenders. It was all about survival yet again. And I still believe that Leeds United have enough um, to stay in the division this season without a shadow of a doubt. Defensively, they look a lot more frail than they have done. But going forward, I still like what they are all about. It will change. And the fans will not turn on Bielsa because of what he has done over the, the years to get them back to where I believe they belong. And they've got faith in them. And I think the players do as well. And they will bounce back. So it's not done and dusted. There's a hell of a lot. There's worse teams in that league. Um, And I I cannot see them sustaining this. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to say Leeds United are going to be safe. The one that caught me was Everton. I've got to say, I thought Decore, Townsend and um, Damari Gray yet again were absolutely outstanding for Everton. And Benitez... Um, doing wonderful things. The the Everton faithful would be delighted at this man and what he's doing with the players. I think they'll be up and down. I, I just think they'll 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 get some good results. The, listen, Norwich is Norwich, and we know what Norwich is about. And <laughs> said Swartie going to go down with the least points ever in Premier League history. Yeah, that that may be the case. I I don't think so. Well, I don't know. I actually don't even know. You could. I be reckon right. my edge with the Eagles you? would give him a run for their money as long as Puppy wasn't playing. Yeah, maybe, but they, they've been really, really disappointing. Um, even more disappointing than than I actually even thought they'd be. I, I, I thought they'd give a little bit more of a a go of it. And listen, there's still plenty of time to go. And we, we're talking what six games in. We're, we're already saying that they're going to go to the worst points ever. Yeah. But with Everton, they're going to be hit and miss for the vast majority of the season. I, I and I think Townsend has been brilliant. Um, you know, absolutely been absolutely brilliant so far. Um, what will they be able to maintain it? Will Townsend be able to stay fit for for the vast majority of the season? Will Decorey be the same? Damari Gray, I'm still listen. Damari Gray hasn't put in a full season in the Premier League as yet. One would argue he hasn't been given the opportunity to because he got limited opportunities at Leicester. 
But uh, listen, the jury is still very much out regarding him, but he's no doubt that he's got ability and he's talented. It's just whether or not he can, he can sustain it. Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to move forward with that point with Leicester as well. Another one of your former clubs, they're sitting in 13th position, one point in their last. So they didn't all games. lose. Didn't you say all my teams lost? No, I said Did they all not say they that? failed to win. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. That, all, the, all uh, well, I hope so. You better go yeah. listen to that again. Cause yeah. I, I'm not quite sure anymore. <laughs> all failed to win, but yeah, it is trouble time there. But as we said, as we mentioned, it's only six rounds. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We're going to hit fifth gear now, guys. Let's move a bit quicker into a game. I like to call. Oh, hang on. Whoa, whoa, before you go anywhere, whoa, whoa, whoa. Got to mention we go. It. What do you got to Cornet. Maxwell Cornet scored an unbelievable goal. And I said, yep. he is the one to look out for. Bridgie? Schwartz, he loves to bring. I'll give you credit. Well he done. Right. He got a good volley. He scored for Burnley. He still didn't know where club he was going to. He still arrived. He's thinking, I've got to perform to get out of this place well, as quick as I can. Why is it Burnley? Whatever it is. I, I, he is a talented player. He is a talented he, he player. Has, and he has stumbled in his career. He's stagnated a little bit in his career. And he's obviously gone to Burnley. And there's an opportunity for him to get in a shot window. And I think he'll do well. He, I thought he was. I mean, the technique to do what he did um, in the moment, fair play. And I couldn't, I could not look at my WhatsApp group because as soon as I heard the goal went in, then I heard ping, ping. I thought, I'm not looking because I know this will be Swarty from Spain going, I told you so, big nose. Jamie Vardy, a hat-trick as well. Not bad, was it? Good finish. <laughs> Great header. Great header at near post from Jamie Vardy. Keep scoring, guys. We're going to move it along now with a quick fire underrated or overrated. I want you to be as brutal as you want. And, and a player could be just rightfully rated. Okay. That's a third option. If you short and sweet answers. Yes. Short and sweet, please. Yeah. If we can yeah. Harry Maguire, overrated, underrated. Overrated. Oof. Bridgie. Underrated. Oh, okay. We have a disagreement here. I have to explore this one a little bit more. Why overrated Schwarzy? Um, why is he overrated? I, I just don't think he's as good as a defender as they make him out to be. Um, I, I think he, obviously, we know he's not the quickest. Mm. Um, and, and, and obviously, okay, I'll, I'll give him this at the moment, right? At the moment, I think he's overrated. But I, I, I think also he hasn't had the right pairing mm. at United. Um, and with Varane, I think he's potentially got that. So the only issue is the pair of them are not the quickest. So... Depends on the cover they have in front of them, but I, I, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced he's the right man yet. A couple of years ago, I started calling him Racket Ralph because everything he seemed to touch, he seemed to wreck it up like the cartoon character. I think he's learned a lot. He's matured, and I think um, he's a he's a mainstay at Manchester United, and we'll see the best of him now he has Varane next to him because Fair that cool. pace will cover what he's all about. Fair call. Next one, Man City's £100 million man, Jack Grealish. Overrated, underrated? Oh, underrated, yeah. I mean, I, I think he's highly rated, isn't he? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think justifiably, just where he is, just where he is, yeah, I think yeah, he's getting the plaudits that he deserves. What do you okay. call yeah. that thing where the, the yeah. you know, you can you can balance out, see if your pictures are lying in the right or your wall straight? What do you call them? A level, a level, yeah. Le- no, thank you. Is that where they got the bubble in the middle? He's right on the level where he well, that is. Was, that was hard, wasn't million, it? Oof. That was a trick question there. You, you really are that. a footballer, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew what I meant. <laughs> He's right on that level. He's perfect where he is. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, Pierre Emerick, Obama Yang. Oh. <sighs> I'm going to start. <sighs> Uh, he was mm. underrated a few years back. Now I think he's overrated. I think his best years are behind him. Oof. Yeah, I agree. I think he's overrated. Okay. Uh, Hugo Lloris. 
Underrated. I love him. Let's hear what the real goalkeeper thinks about him. Um, I, I listen. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Hugo Lloris as well. I think he went through a really really rough patch um, for probably a good season, season and a half. It's hard to judge him right now in a very very average Spurs side. Very hard to judge him right now. So he's underrated. Uh, a bigger. I think he's bigger and better than Tottenham. Or he's about. I, I think we're a bit level. I think we're about at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say even par at the moment. Okay. Yeah. The bubble, the bubble's in the middle, Bridgie. Yeah. Thank the you, bubble's man. in the middle, the Bridgie. <laughs> that, that thing there with the bubble in it. You know the bubble one? <laughs> Jorginho. Uh, underrated. 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 Happy. Yep. Okay. So plenty of love for Jorginho. Rafa Benitez. Overrated. Under. Oh, underrated, Bridgie. Why is he underrated? Sorry, overrated, overrated. Oh, like, I sorry. Was about to say, Over. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> overrated. <laughs> overrated. Last one. I think his marketing has been unbelievable. I mean, the, the fact that he's gone to Everton, I, I was shocked when I saw that. I mean, surely Liverpool was the last no, no, place. But, no, no, it fits, it fits it. To me, it fits, the, it fits the club full stop because the club is obviously not going to spend the money that they've spent in the last couple of seasons. They, they've hardly spent any money. So they brought in Townsend, Andros Townsend on a free, and the Damari Gray they paid like one and a half million pounds. If you consider mm. what they spent Rondon. the last two seasons, yeah, Rondon for nominal amount of money. If you look at what they spent prior to that, they obviously haven't got the budget to do so. And they've told they've been told, well, then you get a manager in to work with the current crop of players, get rid of a few, mm. James Rodriguez obviously being the main one, and deal with the players they have. And and I think he is the perfect man to do that. Is he going to bring success to Everton? Highly unlikely, in my opinion. Okay. Fair call. Last one. I think I know your both your opinions on this one, but Mikel Antonio. Underrated. Yeah, underrated, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because he, would he would he would he fit in? Okay, so we, we say he's underrated, right? So is he underrated because he could easily play for a different team? Could he play for a better team, Bridgie? Um I think yes, he could. And the question marks of his career have been injury. And if where he would can he have play? Where, where would you say? Where would you think he would fit? What, what club? If you talk about West Ham, where they are at the moment, right? So West Ham are kind of like that sixth, seventh team in the yeah. league, right? So five teams and above, Leicester and above, right? If we if we include Leicester in that top five, are we including Leicester? Yeah, probably are. So yeah. we're talking Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester. In which yeah. one of those five clubs would he go into and play? If, if Chelsea hadn't signed Lukaku, I could have seen him going in there as the as a number nine. No, no, with no these, chance. Wow. No telling chance. you, telling you, no well, chance. Could he go into no. City? Yes, he no. could go into City because no. they need number nine. He could go. He could go there, but he, he, the, the timing is perfect for it. But I know what yeah, I hear. I what you're so. saying that Liverpool, um, at this moment in time, yeah, yeah, no, because Jota's doing so well. But I'll tell you what, if if I was a Liverpool and I want to see a plan, a plan B or something different, and you've got the dynamics of Mane and Salah, and you wanted. That number nine, the pivotal point, even if he does want to drop and a goal on, can he play Liverpool? Yes, he can. I would say I would say the best fit would be Leicester. Mm-hmm. Well, Bridget did say that if he didn't play for Jamaica, he thinks he should be in the England squad right now. Yeah, maybe. You might be right there. If Bamford's yeah. getting a sniff, Antonio needs a sniff. Yeah, 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 yeah you're probably right. 
So there's, there's one he could play for. Thanks for that one, guys. Some interesting ones. <laughs> uh, just quickly as well, I want to go around the grounds a little bit and have a look at the rest of Europe real quick. And uh, over in the Serie A, I know Schwartz didn't want to talk much Serie A, so I'm going to position this one over to Michael Bridges then. Uh, Napoli perfect. They're top of the league. They've won every game that they've played. Uh, young Maldini, Daniel Maldini scores oh, for AC. Wasn't that an amazing moment, Claude? It was. It was. Third generation of Maldini to score there. And Paolo was in the stands. What a legend oh. he was. And celebrating. Yeah, I, I just that that moment for me, I, I, yeah, it's had a lump me throat as a father, as, as you would, just to, the, the pride and joy to mm-hmm. see that. And then when the camera panned to see him in the stand celebrating, it was just a great moment. And um, yeah, for, for, I was about to say for the standout, there was the two of them. You've mentioned Napoli's perfect star, but Maldini scoring Formula, Formula and brilliant. Yeah. Loved it. I also love the fact that Pedro scored against well, Roma for well, Lazio. <laughs> and in the last derby they played, Pedro scored for Roma against Derby. I mean, how does that even work? The rivalry is so fierce. How the hell can Pedro go from Roma and play for Lazio and score and then be a hero for La- I don't even get it. It's it's incredible, isn't it? I, I saw that. I was, I was going to bring that up as my third point because it was massive there. People don't do that in, in that scene. No. That's their two no. clubs. I think he's the third player. He's only the third player to ever do so. Is that right? Yeah, it's been 40 two, years. Two actually scoring both of them or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been 40 years since the last one. But he didn't just score. He, he ran off and celebrated as well like a bit yes, of a Yes, he did. He which, did. which I wanted to bring up, whether that is okay in modern football, because I, I, I saw a bit, I was hoping Tommy Sorensen would join us today because I saw a little clip from, I think it was January, February 2000, Michael Bridges, a young Michael Bridges scores against Sunderland, Tommy Sorensen in goals, and you ran off and celebrated like a pork chop. So is that, is that okay in football, Bridgie? No, wow. it is. It, it all day long it is because if you are a goal scorer all your life and you celebrate from a young kid, you, I, I was still like a child on the field. And I used to love it. And it doesn't matter who I was playing against, what I was doing. You get lost in that moment of ecstasy. Yeah. And when I saw Ling- Jesse Lingard um, score for Man United, I thought the control uh, that he had to stop himself against West Ham when he scored for Man United, I don't know what was going through. Like that, that was his straightaway his instinct. He, I, I ran off. I didn't celebrate or provoke the fans. I ran off and celebrated with Jason Wilcox because it was such a good ball. And the the circumstances surrounding me leaving that that football club was not yeah. nothing to do with the fans. Yeah, it was to do with the you know there's a few things went on behind the scenes with contracts with Peter Reid, and but even more the reason why you wouldn't celebrate because it was nothing fact, to do with the fans. To know the fact that I scored that goal, and Peter Reid would have to go and explain why I had to leave Sunderland or explain the things behind it that gave me more more satisfaction. Did you cop a lot fair. of grief? Did you cop a lot of grief from the Sunderland fans? Oh yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially in the return, like the 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 return match um, when we were at home and the away fans came down here. Yeah. yeah, absolutely copped it. But Swartz, yeah. I was able to go. I, I explained myself. I was able to go back in two thousand and six and re-sign for Sunderland, and all was forgiven. Yeah. Wow. Well, but yeah, I, I've got no problems with players celebrating as long as they're not giving it to the fans and provoking the fans. If you're celebrating with your teammates for scoring a goal, that's what you're paid to do, man. Yeah. Enjoy the moment. We but are, I can also are. I can also understand why Jesse Lingard didn't celebrate. He's just at at West Ham at an incredible time, um, you know, kind of re kickstarted his career again. And I think he's just appreciated for the moment, the opportunity, and the way that the fans received him. So I, I get that. I, I have to take my ass to that. I think that's he fair play. for that to be his initial reaction to control because I think he sort it out. Phenomenal. 
he's obviously thought it out beforehand, thinking if I'm going to score today, I'm not going to celebrate out of respect for the fans. And I, I, I respect that. It doesn't matter how few games he played for them, the impact he had and obviously the relationship he had and how much of a good time he had and he, it allowed him to fall back in love with the game. They gave him a platform and I respect that. I think, I think fair play to him. Well, there you go. Pedro, Michael Bridges, Adebayor, uh, David Luiz, it's a, it's, a, it's a great list of players who have scored and celebrated against their old clubs. I want to move quickly to Spain because, Schwartzy, you're there on the ground. Barca win, finally. Ansu Fati's back in the team and he looks good again, wearing the number 10 jersey for Barcelona. Sociedad, Rayo Vallecano are in and around the mix. Three straight games with goals for Radamel Falcao. Sevilla, Sevilla. Look like they're in a good if they win well. their if they win their game in hand, they on top equal with uh, Real Madrid. Real Madrid were kept uh, scoreless at home against Villarreal. They actually, we're mm. out. We're, we're down on the possession against Villarreal. Um, all's not well with Atletico Madrid at the moment. They were yeah. poor, losing uh, against Alaves. Yeah, no, not not not. It's one of those those seasons where it's pretty open. Um, Real Madrid are probably still the favourites. But in terms of Champions League positions, European positions, it's so open. Um, it's exciting to see. And obviously, Real Sociedad, uh, Matty Ryan's side. Matty didn't play on the weekend. He played midweek uh, in their 3-2 win away on the weekend, so on the bench again. But they, they, I think they're second or third at the moment. So they're doing really, really well. So, yeah, it makes a really interesting season again. Definitely, yeah. I mean, lost a lot of superstars, but it's probably the best it's been in a long time for the neutrals. Last quick word I want to have on Scotland as well, just because we've got Martin Boyle scoring every single game. He's top of the Golden Boot rankings there. And uh, we had a young Cammy Devlin make his debut for Hearts as well. He had a man of the match performance, played very well. We won't talk about Ange because he's struggling a little bit over there, but just uh, in regards to our young Aussie players looking for an avenue to go and, and, and break into European football, quick one. I don't know if this will be a quick one, though. Is Scotland the place to go for our young players? If they are getting opportunities to play and go there and play senior football, yes, without a shadow of doubt. If it's a quicker pathway, mm. if you're talking about getting experience in a quality of football that's going to embrace Europe, then it, no, mm. not not for me. There is other places where you can go and develop your game. Um, and there is, you know, whether that's through Sweden, whether that's through Denmark, whether that's through Belgium, there, there is other ways. And I think the technical aspect of the game is a lot for, more suited. But if you want to go there and get with the nitty gritty and lower clubs, if you're going to Celtic and Rangers, by all means, go and, go and have a crack. If you're going to the, the lesser and lower teams, and it, it's, it is a, it's a tougher pathway for me. But um, listen, it's been proven. Aaron Moy's done it. And look where, you know, look what's happened with Aaron when he's gone and done it. So oh, I, I've got no I'm not 100% on board with, with that one. I'm not 100% on board with that one, Bridgie. I, I, I think you're right what you're saying. Like, but to, if you talk about the Scandinavian leagues, they're certainly more technical, right? Yeah. But, but they're not necessarily the better pathway. I, I think wherever they're going to go and play, if, if, if Scotland is a, is a platform for them, the Scottish League is a platform for them to go there, perform, perform every week. And if they're good enough, they will stand out in that league and they will go on to better things because it's another league that people are watching. They're always looking for a, for a, for a good player, a bargain to buy from there. Wherever they can go to actually develop and given their opportunity to play games. And, and that to me makes a difference. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter where it is as long as they're playing each week or, or next to playing every week and given the opportunity. So at the moment, the Scottish league is obviously loving Australian players and it's giving them an opportunity to play at the highest level. Where Give me that, that any day. Where has that come from? Where, where, is this is, well, a, is different well, scout I, network over there or something? Well, I think it's also, it, it's to do with, 
you know, Tommy Rogic being there, doing well for Celtic, Martin Bull doing well, all of a sudden they start to look uh, in Australia and go, okay, we've, we've got one really good player here. Okay, let's maybe see another player. Maybe it comes from an influence of an agent who has more connections in that, in that country. And, I, I, and it's, it's, a, it's a market that is, I think, uh, that is, you know, something that's not inflated. It's an opportunity for clubs to get a really good deal on players. And you know what you're going to get with Australian players. You're going to get hardworking players that are going to give you everything. Listen, give me every day of the week an Aussie player signing for a Scottish club over game going to Asia. I want to see more Aussie players coming to Europe and giving it a go in Europe than going to Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think the opportunity to play in Europa League and Champions League and all that is another big one as well. Um, fair point from both you gentlemen. Now, before we wrap up, I want to look forward quickly to the Premier League action that is coming up before the international break. Of course, a lot of the big clubs have Champions League and Europa League to deal with and UEFA Conference League for you, Bridgie, uh, during the week. Uh, but looking forward to the weekend of football, it kicks off early on Saturday night with Man United at home to Everton. Real quick, predictions for these. Manchester United to bounce back and get a result against Everton, even after their European. I'm going to say Arsenal will still carry on this rich vein of form and beat Brighton. Spurs will not bounce back and will get beat off Aston Villa, unfortunately, and Liverpool, Man City. Well, I tell you what, I'm just going to admire it for what it is. Um, can I pick a winner? No, I can't. Um, I'm going to sit on the fence with this one. I'm just going to admire it and hope it's going to be an absolute goal fest. Short oh, team. well. All right. Man United, yeah, going to beat Everton. Can't see Everton. I think, like I said before, Everton are going to be that yo-yo side. I think Brighton are going to beat Arsenal, or if not, at least it'll be a draw. Uh, Villa will beat Spurs, no doubt. Um, apply more pressure on Nuno and probably won't be his last game, but it won't be far off it. Liverpool, Man City, I am going to take my spot next to Bridgie on that fence because I'm just looking forward to a fantastic game. Hopefully it will be. I'm sure it will be. Um, and Are you I can't actually going to be there, Swartzy? Are you going to be working up there? No, mate. No, I'm going to be watching it from the sun, mate. Yeah, I thought you might have flown in for this one. You never know. No. Sunny Spain. What about Chelsea at home to Southampton? Leeds at home to Watford? Leeds at home. I've been impressed with Watford there. The boys saw has been magnificent. Um and, you know, Furpo's just come in, the left-back from Barca. He's finding the Premier League a little bit tough, so I'll be running at him again. Um, that's going to be a tough, tough match, I do believe, but I'm going to say Leeds will get the job done and come out of it. Chelsea, nah, they'll bounce back. Your boys are safe. Yeah, absolutely. Last couple of games we have here, Wolves at home to Newcastle. I think uh, all of you will be tuning in midnight to Burnley at home to Norwich. Bridget well, certainly be up watching it. I'll, the, the interesting one for me is Wolves Newcastle. That for me is that's a huge game for 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 both the clubs. Um, and obviously Steve Bruce, if if Steve Bruce can show the pace on the pitch that he shows on the FIFA, have you seen the new the new FIFA <laughs> games just come out? And there was a there was a I think one of the players posted, "How come our fat gaffer is quicker than me when the the team celebrate at the end with a victory?" It's I been doing the round fat gaffer. But you know, well, <laughs> somebody's the maximum. So maximum, so maximum said it. He said, "How come am I? Am I? An, uh, what did he say? I'm a 91 pace, and you've given Steve Bruce a 99. How's the that gaffer's gone flying past him? That for me, that's <laughs> yeah. good, that's good banter. I, I enjoyed that. I think Newcastle can. I'm hoping they can get that result over them. And then what was the other one you mentioned there, Claude? The other one I mentioned was a, a huge game. Burnley at home to Norwich. Both teams need a win. 
Yeah, that's why I forgot about it. Sorry, mate, I switched <laughs> off. But I'll tell you what, though, Monday morning here is a fantastic morning of football because you have Palace Leicester, Spurs Villa, West Ham Brentford, which have both been very impressive. And then right after that, you have Liverpool City. So there's a lot to look forward to, guys. Big week of football, of course, all the European action midweek as well. Thanks, guys, for joining me. We've gone a little bit over time, but why not? We're talking football on a Tuesday morning. I hope you've had fun. I hope I did okay on my debut. I was just about to say, I'll give you credit on your debut, right? We, Mr. Wiener is an absolute legend. You're talking about like Zinedine Zidane of the Gagan <laughs> pod. He is the, you know, he's been here from day dot. And you've just come in as the new boy, Elliot, the Liverpool, the impact that he made on his debut for Liverpool. Superly impressed them, mate. You've outperformed yourself. Loved it. Can you get your tongue any further up his backside? Oh, Shorty, give me some credit, mate. Come on. No, 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 Cord. No, absolutely. I'm just having a dig at Bridgie. No, you've done incredibly <laughs> well, Cord. I have to say you've been seamless in your in your transition into role of anchoring the, the Gagan pod. I'll tell you what, David Winner has to be careful. Um, so you've done really, really well. But Bridgie, Jesus, I'll tell you what. Well, oh, honestly, Shorty, you've got to because... You know, me and you, we we get up, we go into our lounge room, we've got our we've got our uh, microphones all set up, and we think we look the part with our backgrounds. You've got a Why TV in your background, <laughs> I've got my shirt up, and then we see Claude's come on, and he's in his studio, he's got the full gig, he's got the World Cup trophy behind him. It just makes me sick, the youth of today, how much effort they go to. They go to all this effort, but he's a professional, and that's why we love him. Don't forget the branding as well on the laptop. You're not going to miss that, are you? Oh, yes. Off the sport. There we go. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it. promotion king. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm going to take this opportunity to plug the app as always as well. Jump on the Optus Sport app for your latest player cams, match highlights, full replays, all the latest news if you haven't had enough of our faces and voices. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you to these two legends for joining me from myself, Bridgie, Schwartzy, and the whole team at Optus Sport. Have a lovely week. You can catch us next week on the Gagan Pod. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.